This is a previously recorded episode. This show is broadcasting live from Detroit Sound Studios above Activate Gaming and is part of the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Rag. Is that what your title is that we gave you? Yeah, that's what you came up with on the fly, I think. There goes system, system of Down just blaring. Uh, but yeah, uh, Justin Spiro. Tonight on uh, episode, what is it, 13? Sounds about right, 12, 13, whatever. Yeah. Who's counting anymore? Uh, I am. Of the Detroit Sports Rag podcast, broadcasting live from our Ferndale studios. Podcast Detroit, and uh, Justin, we're getting an abridged show this evening because you are going to see the Pistons play the second best team in the NBA, the San Antonio Spurs at the Palace of Auburn Hills with fellow Detroit Sports Rack contributor Jasper Apollonia. Unfortunately, you're probably not going to get there in time for the live remote that 105.1 is having out there. Anyone listening to this broadcast, if you're going to the game, I advise you to get there early because Drew Sharp and Rat Dreary are on uh, a broadcast, I guess somewhere in the bowels of the Palace of Auburn Hills. Maybe you want to say hi to uh, Drew Sharp while you're out there and uh, just uh, ask him about his ethical background. The I were, Here's what I recommend if you haven't already done this to anyone listening to this. Just go into the Twitter search box and type in Drew Sharp and see what comes up. The The feedback is hilarious. I would say, what, close to yeah, 85% negative about his plagiarism? Yeah, it's I mean, crazy. It's, it's not, not all of them, but the vast majority of people commenting on anything Drew Sharp-related, a, a tweet with his article or what have you, is just bombing this guy for the plagiarism. So this is really beyond us at, at, at this point. It's people that don't know us that are not readers of the site, but maybe read it in Cranes or Deadline Detroit right. or wherever. So this is really beyond us at this point, which is great. I mean, that's it's not supposed to be about us. I think we've really uh, alerted to the, the public of something egregious and bad. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on the Drew Sharp plagiarism scandal. We're going to get into some talk about the Lions in a few moments, and we're going to have Anthony Ciotti on later in the program to basically give us a synopsis on the Red Wings' first half of the year. We're, we're about halfway in now, and uh, what what occurred in the first uh, 40-some games and what we can expect going forward and making a playoff push for the 20,000th straight year. But I do want to address the sharp stuff for a few minutes just because since the last time we were on the air— Drew Sharp made his return to the Detroit Free Press and 105.1 with no apology, no explanation, no transparency by either of his employers. The Free Press especially just let him back at about 11.59 at night, sometime like what last Wednesday or something. We were told that he was the precondition to him returning to 105.1 by his broadcast partner, Matt Derry, and I think his agent, Mort Meisner, was probably somewhere behind the this, this scene 
playing the puppeteer of Derry saying this guy's got to come out and apologize for stealing a blogger's work before he can rejoin the PM Drive show on 105.1. That never happened. The free press in 105.1 have acted like none of this ever occurred, hoping that it's going to go away. And as they can see, it's not going away. It will never go away. We will not forget it. As I mentioned on Twitter the other day, it's been over a decade since Mitch Album and pulled the Mateen Cleaves, Jason Richardson stuff. We still mention that on a regular basis. And I just went and got a book signed by him about two weeks ago at a Costco in Auburn Hills, about a, one exit from the palace, where he signed the book to Mateen Cleaves on my request. We're not going away. We're going to continue to do everything in our power to bring this to light, to force the free press into addressing it, including things that I've got coming up on the free press that I don't think are going to make them too comfortable. And I hope to have that any day. But, uh, I, you know, it's it just, it just an embarrassing situation when a newspaper that I grew up, you know, basically obsessing over reading front to back, knowing this is their history now. This is, this is what they should be known for, allowing pr- plagiarists and fabulous to get away with murder and not do anything about it. And, you know, you comment on the free press basically let Drew Sharp come back with no apology and no real repercussions, maybe a silent suspension that I doubt had any financial implication for him, although that is speculation. But it goes really beyond that from the free press's perspective. The free press is as bad as Drew Sharp in this, the free press in terms of their editorial staff, that what they did, I think, I would argue, Kevin Bull in particular, who dealt with this issue, is just as bad as anything Sharp did. So it's more than just ignoring what Drew Sharp did or didn't do in, in terms of this attribution, lack of attribution and what I would call flat-out plagiarizing uh, plagiarize a piece. But the free press is a perpetrator in this. So this is not just a failure to police their own. This is, you know, in terms of Drew Sharp, this is a failure to police themselves. So, and, and what's their response to you, me, many of the DSR readers, other people who, like you said, picked it up on either Deadline Detroit or Cranes or one of the other uh, aggregate websites that posted about it? What have they done? Robert Hushka, who I interacted with on Twitter, trying to get an answer to what the— I'm going to tell the people who that even Yeah, I'm is. sorry. He's the executive editor of the Free Press. Engaged me on Twitter— because I made a joke that if I won the Powerball, I was going to buy the free press and then force him to scrub the toilets at the building with a toothbrush. Uh, that, which, by the way, if I, if I win the Powerball, now that's $1.5 billion, even after taxes, after I buy the free press, I'll still have about $900 million after, um, left over because I don't think I'd have to pay more than $75 million. So I think we should make a, uh, a, a bargain here that either of us hit the Powerball tomorrow, we're buying the free press, right? Yes. There's no question. Yeah. Okay. Um, and a radio station. We're going we're gonna to buy a, Oh, yeah, a we'll buy a radio station. Mega, megawatt. We're going to be like the Sheldon Adelson of Detroit. And inst- instead of sp- um, spouting out pro-Israel propaganda and Zionism, we're just going to – Take retribution on everyone in the Detroit sports media. I, We're going to be like the William Randolph Hearst of the <laughs> Detroit media, just completely take over and control the message. And- <laughs> exactly. But within a, within like three months of us, either of us winning the Powerball, uh, everyone is going to hate everything about Detroit sports because that's the only me- – we'll just buy up everything. Buy up 97.1. Buy up 105.1. Uh, we'll buy WJR. And what are the Lions going to do at that point? I mean, that's checkmate, right? I mean, we have, we'd have, and we'd still have like $700 million. We could buy all of the major entities that deliver sports content in this city and still have like half a billion dollars left over. I think that's a good idea. I, I, I will sign on to that pledge. And just a quick update on this. We're not going to spend the whole time on it, obviously, but I did email Gary Miles, who is the chief editor at the Detroit News. And I, I wouldn't say I took him the task as much as I just asked him, look, you guys in 2005 took Mitch Album the task for what he did. We've had journalism professors, the board member of the ethics board for SPJ, comment that what Album did was nowhere near as bad as what Sharp did. So where's the difference here? Why was Mitch Album so put to fire and not Drew Sharp for what many people would say was even a worse offense? 
And he sent me an email basically insinuating that the free press already handled it. And he doesn't know what else he can add to the discussion. Why comment? Because everything's already been discussed in our report, our meaning the DSR. Now, here's the problem. It's a total cop-out of an answer. Are you telling me that every media outlet that even commented or addressed or acknowledged the existence of the Jerry Sandusky molestation trial was investigating something or presenting some new information? No, you just you talk about it and you address it. And it, that's such a cop-out that the Detroit News' official position on why they haven't put the free press or Drew Sharp to task is that they have nothing new to add to the investigation. What what does that even mean? So so you can't comment on on any story in the news. So if the Detroit News wants to comment on the war in Iraq, they need to be uncovering you know members of the Taliban that were not never there. Well, how about, you know a, what I mean? like, how about an example that they shouldn't have commented on the Kwame any of the Kwame stuff because the Free Press is the one that broke the story. Yeah. So the Detroit News shouldn't have said. I mean, I mean it's, it's ridiculous. An, it's an asinine. So no one can I'm talk about water. No one can talk about Watergate back in the day unless you're the Washington Post. I mean, it makes absolutely no sense. And and what a cop out. So he basically and, and so there were two real real facets to his answer was one they have nothing new to add which is a joke as we just explained and two it seems like the free press already handled this before our report even came out well if you consider handling it doing nothing because drew sharp was writing seven to eight columns in the you know in the 10 days after he was discovered to have done this whatever you say but the detroit news is a joke and i don't think they should escape m live too m live isn't mentioned it at all there's they a, have an obligation to at least address it even if they don't even if they don't blast them just like an omerta. I mean, they just don't want it out there. None of them. Are, they're all protecting each other because they don't want to get attacked by the other the next time something like this happens in their shop. And Gary Miles, by the way, the managing editor of the Detroit News, this is a guy who supposedly, I've been told by people at the papers, that, that idiot Greg Krupa, who covers the Red Wings for the Detroit News, has like a restraining order. A literal restraining order. Greg has one against Miles. Krupa, the other way Krupa has one against Miles, I guess. Like... Seems like a good working relationship. Yeah, it, it, it's. I will, I'll just say. How this, do you I, trust anything? You know, when I, I've been the subject of newspaper articles before, I've had clients of mine in you know feature articles, and you really see when it's something that you know a lot about how little these papers really uh, are dealing in accuracy. There was, an, I mean, you could. You read an article you really have no frame of reference about, and you're probably thinking, well, all the information I'm getting here is 100% accurate. It's not. It's a joke. These reporters take constant shortcuts. They're getting thing wrong, things wrong constantly. And why and does now, that happen? Look, and at, now, look at the yeah. checks and balances that are – There are they're not. That's the point. There's, there's no check. How, how can you – I don't – Drew Sharp was caught red-handed. There was no punishment for this. You can say this is just a sports section if you want. But this is a problem with that paper. Sections, the section is completely irrelevant. No, I know, but that's what yeah. people are saying. It's frivolous sports. Oh, that's but, a bad argument. Yeah, it's if a it, horrible there's argument. There's no page that has more value than another page in the paper. The paper's the paper. It's in the free press, or in this case, it's not in the Detroit News. So really, that's irrelevant, whether it's on the front page. If there's something that they're stealing in the classified page, I think it's just as outrageous. I mean, it doesn't have the same impact. But it, from a journalistic integrity standpoint, there's no difference. You can't really delineate those. And there, again, there's no checks and balances here. And this is something that is so troubling because the fact is Mike Valeni, the number one show, sports show in Detroit, and certainly arguably in the country, certainly up there, Commented on this in a condemning tone. Yeah, let's play that. Let's play. Yeah, that. let's play that. Perfect let's play time. that clip of, of Valente. What happened yesterday was our own DSR uh, stuttering John Melrose Jerry Green Mahir Bahatnagar uh, decided to call Valente and Foster yesterday. Wait on hold for about fifty minutes to ask Valente what he thought about Drew Sharp's plagiarism scandal. And this is what Valente and then Foster, the imbecile that he is. Having to say about that topic, it's people are brutal, man. Two four eight five three nine ninety seven ninety seven. Let's go to Jerry ninety seven one. What's up, Jerry? Hey guys, how's it going? Good, brother. What's up? Hello. What do you guys think of Drew Sharp plagiarizing a blogger? Oh, uh, that that that's a mess. That's what that is. It's a mess. I mean, what do you, what do you want me to tell you, Jerry? I don't know how. I don't know how the freak keeps doing it. I don't. You had Mitch tell me Jason Richardson was uh, at a game that he wasn't. And 10 years later, you got that. I don't know what you want me to tell you, brother. I like Drew personally. I do. I know, Terry, you do as well. That that thing's a mess. Can't do it. 248-539-9797. Let's get to the people. 
Let's go to my. I mean, I mean, I, I don't think that's unfair of me to say it, right? No, it it, it is not. The, the two things that you're not supposed to do in journalism is you cannot plagiarize. And I don't know if this was full plagiarism, but it was taking information from a blog and not attributing it. That's what that was. Another thing, you just can't make stuff up. Jason Richardson was <laughs> You can't make stuff up. <clears throat> Let's go to Mike, 97. <laughs> Weird footies. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, Mike. What's going on? You can't make stuff up and you can't plagiarize. And that's the history of the Detroit Free Press over the last 10 years. And, that, and, and, and Valente didn't even mention another incident, which the Free Press never addressed, which the Detroit sports rag broke a couple years back, where – and I don't even give a shit anymore. I'm not protecting this guy or whatever – but I was contacted by uh, someone in the Detroit media about Mitch Album writing an article about the Chicago Blackhawks and the Detroit Red Wings, a playoff, the playoff series that the Red Wings lost in seven games in overtime because Thomas Tatar was in Grand Rapids and not on the big team, you know, the year that Tatar scored 16 playoff goals in, in the AHL. A guy named Brian Hedger, who I think worked for the NHL.com, wrote an article, and I'm going to pull it up in a second, but where he wrote basically word for word something that Brian Hedger had wrote on NHL.com hours earlier. Now, the free press was alerted by about this, not just by us, but by someone else in the Detroit media, I was told. And Gene Myers, who was then the sports editor, said, I'm not doing anything about it. I'm not even taking this up the flagpole to see if they, the executive editor or the publisher wants to do anything about this. Now, this was already after Album had written the now notorious Richardson Cleves article that they were enjoying a game, a Michigan State game, that they'd never attended. This is, this is a pattern of behavior. This is not an isolated incident anymore. No, and when you see a pattern like that, at what point do you just have zero credibility whatsoever? And I think, you know, some would argue they were already at that point. I would say, at least with some of these things, namely the Mitch Album scandal, they were pretty transparent. And whether it was, you know, a, a punishment they wanted to dole out, they did dole a punishment out to, to Mitch Album. So this is what's concerning to me. I think it's the worst of the worst, not just for the act itself, but for how it was handled. We didn't even get a no comment. I mean, only one media source that I'm aware of, Cranes Detroit, was even given the the courtesy of the words no comment. We were just flat out ignored. And when you have the evidence that we had, and we have an aggrieved party in David Harnes, and this much concern out there, I don't get how you just, I mean, at least respond to our inquiries with a no comment. I mean, it's just like out of sight, out of mind. And it's really alarming. And, you know, it's alarming that the Detroit News, I've since gotten an email back when I sort of shot back at Gary Miles for his response that I mentioned earlier, and he, all he, his response was a quote from our article saying that the free press had retroactively edited the online piece. And that was what Gary Miles from the Detroit News is arguing was a sufficient addressing of this. So this, I mean, I just got that email two minutes ago. So the Detroit News' official position is that because the Detroit free press retroactively made notes to an online article that you're only going to look up if you're very curious, I mean, it was at that point a week old. It, that's considered enough. No public apology from Sharp. No open admission of what happened. Saying that this story was lacking some attribution is not the same as saying an egregious error took place. Even if they don't want to use the word plagiarism, at least say it was an egregious error in terms of a failure to attribute sources, which, by the way, is plagiarism, but even if that's not your stance. So the Detroit News is taking the same angle as the free press, although they have one more response to me than the free pad. But it's just no big deal, whatever. And, and it's, just, it, it's such a, an embarrassment, and it's something we're going to have to continue to grill them for. I don't know if you even, in closing, want to cover what we've been doing to kind of mess with them a little bit. I, I, mean, I don't know if we even want to talk about that. We'll but leave that alone. Let, let, me, let me give you just the, the uh, paragraph from the Brian Hedger article a couple years ago that he wrote on NHL.com, and then I'm going to read you Mitch Albums. Okay, this is Hedger. Longtime fans on both sides will see more than just Jonathan Taze and Henrik Zetterberg battling in the face-off circle on Wednesday night. Seeing the wing wheel in the Blackhawks logo for some will remind them of classic clashes from the past between Hall and Howe, Makita and Lindsay, Iserman and Savard. 
And then here's album about nine hours later, after the series, uh, the Red Wings lost in uh, Game 7. Fight over. With the playing ghosts of Hall and Howe, Makita and Lindsay, Iserman and Savard nodding from above, the two teams skated e- past each other and shook hands. Now, we, we calculated the odds that the exact same players on both the Blackhawks and the Red Wings in the same order would be mentioned. All of the guys who've played for the Red Wings and Blackhawks over the last 100 years almost, the odds of that occurring, that being a coincidence, about the same as you winning the Powerball tomorrow. That's what of statistical anomaly that would be. Basically the, impossible. It's basically impossible. Possible. You're talking in the millions, literally. Hall and Howe, Makita and Lindsay, Iserman and Savard, and then the exact same order, Hedger had the same list. And it, it, it's, it was incredible. And Brian Hedger thought he was plagiarized, okay? Brian Hedger, the, the original reporter, thought, but I don't know, he's some small town or small guy working for NHL.com or something. He didn't want to make a huge deal about it, even though I tried to get him to. Ring a bell? <laughs> yep. Sound familiar? That's that, these these little babe in the woods, you know, dainty little victims we have. We need we need them to do it to you, or you'll press charges. You know, like exactly. I mean, you'll you'll literally sue them. You know, oh, that's yeah. and, and you can. There are and, grounds for doing that. I'm, I mean, Dave, I'm, David Harnes could have could have sued the Detroit Free Press for David intellectual Harns, property theft. David Harnes. It's time, David. I don't know if you're listening to this or it's going to get David, back to you. David will listen to this. It, it's look, time, David. He still hasn't. Apologize to you. The bare minimum was this phone guy call of calling yeah. and apologizing for what happened. He still has not done the even that. And then he goes on the show when he's supposed to. I know we were talking. We said we were going to talk about this only for a few minutes, and we're now twenty minutes in. But I'm sorry. I, I, I'm, I'm not letting this fucking go. He goes on the show on 105.1 during crosstalk with that. With all those imbeciles, your boy Sean Bally, uh, Mark Fellhauer, Tom Mazaway, who I guess got some time off for delivering groceries to the elderly, Darian Sharp on that crosstalk, laughing it up. We're going to make Drew's back t-shirts. And that imbecile Sharp with his, laughing about it. That was that was where they were supposed to have an apology, and they're joking about Drew's back shirts. So tell, let me tell you, David Harnes, it's time. You've been extremely respectful. You've shown class that I wouldn't have, obviously, but it's now time. It's been weeks. They've done nothing. I'm sorry. Giving a donation to the Shriners Hospital for a few hundred bucks yeah, it was a nice gesture. It wasn't nearly enough. You haven't even got an apology from this asshole, troll, fuckstick, Drew Sharp. It's time for you to write the full story, David Harnes. Please. Well, at the very least, where's the demand for an apology if you're him? And, you know, something we've heard consistently is, you know, if, if he's okay with it, then why aren't you okay with it? First of all, as we've said repeatedly, he's not the only victim in this. The truth is a victim. Transparency is a victim. Any reader of the free press is a victim because they have the right to believe that they're reading something that has been properly filtered through the right channels. All of the so, time, But he is family such- members of victims accept an apology, whether or not they're Christians and they believe in redemption or whatever it is, you see murderers get family members to say, I forgive you. The state still sentences that person to 40 to 60 years in jail. So just because David uh, is accepting the apology of basically Kevin Bull, that's the only person who's made Because society an is a victim. Yeah. It's, I, I mean, there needs to be some, you know, so the free press is allowed to just get away with this, basically? Well, we're not I mean, going to allow it. I'm just, I'm going to stay on it. I don't give a shit. If I, I don't care. Well, if I every, think by the end of this, they're going to wish they had just issued an apology and suspended him for oh, a week. When, when, I mean, when, when know, I have and, what's coming, and let me, we're going to, I'm going to say one more thing before we go to the Lions talk. And that's his coworkers who anonymously email you and me and other people in the Detroit sports media saying that they're ashamed of this, that they can't believe this happened again. I've had people set up fake email accounts just to give me information 
about the inner workings of the Detroit Free Press and what's happened with Drew Sharp, you people need to come out. They're not going to fire you. They didn't fire a plagiarist. They didn't fire a guy who's absolutely humiliated the newspaper on a national level and at this lied, point. And then lied to his boss. And then lied to his boss. These, do you think Brian Manzullo and Dave Burkett and all of you fellow co-workers at the Free Press, they're going to fire you if you step up and say something when they didn't fire this guy? I think you'd probably have a pretty good lawsuit of that if, if, if they did. Stop enabling this fucking motherfucker. Stop acting like it didn't happen. And Dave Burkett is the biggest piece of shit. I- I'm sick of this motherfucker's act. Every article that Drew Sharp has written, every single one, since he came back from his suspension, which was unpublicized, and the only reason you people even know about it is because of Justin and myself. Every article he's retweeted, every single one, almost like he's trying to piss us off. I don't think he even did that before this. I don't think so. It's almost like he's, I think it's his passive-aggressive way to get back at me. Because I'm bombing him for his coverage of Martha Ford and his slap dickishness with the Lions, that he's going to retweet this known plagiarist. You heard what Mike Valente said. You even heard what Terry Foster had to say. You're getting criticized on your journalism ethics and practices by a guy who is constantly bombing his Instagram account with advertisement for Infinity, for Xfinity, Comcast service. That's the guy who's telling you you're wrong? Which is against the law, by the way. Terry Foster? Well, at least he puts the hashtag ad on there. He does do that. Oh, okay. But he's using his his Twitter account to spam you people, Terry Foster. This is the guy who's who's telling you that Drew Sharp did something. He called it one of the biggest journalistic stins himself, Terry Foster. And Dave Burkett? Are you kidding me? going on and doing video webcasts. Tell your employer no. I don't want to be in the company of this guy. Are you are you that desperate? I guess you are because you agreed to do a DSR Lions season preview with no microphone for on Thursday night for a dinner, dinner and a couple drinks on the expense account of the Detroit sports rag. I guess you're that desperate for a job. I mean, I don't have two kids, so I guess I can do whatever I want. I, you company man. You shill. Stop it. Stop retweeting this guy. Do you, have you seen the comments under Dave Burkett's tweets when he does it every time? Is he a masochist? He's getting slaughtered. So but I think Dave Burkett's a perfect segue into discussing the Lions. You know, we have another 20 minutes I'd like or so. to go off for another hour on Dave well, Burkett no, alone. We go for two Dave, hours. Dave Burkett. Dave Burkett. This guy. He was one of the good ones. This guy was one of the good ones. I kept – anyone who said, you don't like anybody, nobody does a good job in Detroit media – or they said the beat writers for the Lions are bad. I'd always say, what, what are you talking about? Katzenstein, Mankey, Burkett, Katzenstein Justin turned Rogers. Katzenstein turned on us, too. Yeah, I mean, you've got to be – well, at least he's still – yeah, but he's, at least he's still doing good work. He's not out there retweeting the work of frickin' Drew Sharp. All right, go talk about the Lions because I, – I, I mean, I'm serious. This, I've never been more angry about a – issue in the 13 years to be 13 years in about two months from today it's the worst thing that's happened i don't think there's any question not the original transgression the cover maybe, up. The cover up. but this whole entire f- it is a cover-up yeah I re- whole- I, it's a cover-up i mean there's no other way to put it i'm tired i've been taking the task for using that term it is a cover-up i mean w- what is a cover-up that this isn't a cover-up what is you tell me. I've I mean, never been more they, angry. They didn't, they didn't mention anything to anybody. Look, I, you know, I tweeted out the SBJ ethics rules of transparency. There's the seven bullet points. They violated six of them, clearly. One of them was irrelevant. You know, what, what more do you need? This isn't us. This is the Society of Professional Journalists, the unofficial governing body of how to report in this country, is, is aggrieved. It thinks that this was a, quote, textbook case of plagiarism. One last thing, and we will get to the I, – I, I know I've said that 17 times. But we were supposed to have Motor City Muckraker on today. He's been real busy. He's got a bunch of things that he's working on. But – and he, he said when he was at the Free Press that they were not supposed to give accreditation to other outlets. Yeah, well, we're going to have him on I mean, next week yeah, I mean, sometime. Just, I mean, we'll get just, into that with just, him. But I just don't know how you can even read that paper anymore. 
and believe anything at face value. All right, Lions. The Lions, I, I mean— Bob Quinn. You want to make fun of me, or should I just start with my take? Because I guess you've earned the right to, to finger-wag me a little bit. I mean, for those who weren't following this, I made a, a pretty much a guarantee last week that Sheldon White would be the general manager. It was not for show. I was genuinely convinced of that to the point where I, I put a relatively meaningful amount of money on the line, backing that up against the man next to me here, Jeff Moss. And I was wrong, and I paid, and apparently it went to the to the ponies within <laughs> it's within twenty four hours. Twenty four hours, so twenty four minutes. South, I lost a hundred hours, and it's gone. It's and gone. It's gone. <laughs> but you know, so look, you know, I'll admit I'm wrong, and I I have to take that. I mean, I I couldn't have been more wrong. I was convinced it would be Sheldon White, and I do think it's encouraging. And, and people, see, you know, that they've gone outside of the the framework of the organization and something they've really gone against the mo that they've had certainly in the entire time I've been alive, and just through historical research, the framework that they've always followed since the Fords took over. You know, it is encouraging, but I, I, I think what can you really say? You know, Mike Valeni, who I don't know if he took this from me, but I mean, I, I, supposedly we agree that to not have this coaching decision out there one way or the other by now is already troubling. It's now Tuesday. If it's the end of the day tomorrow, if we wake up Thursday morning and we still have no idea if Caldwell's the coach or not next year, you have to question what Bob Quinn is doing, and I think it's a bad start to the regime. Doesn't mean he's going to, you know, it doesn't mean he's going to be a total failure. He's a, he's a total nincompoop or whatever, but it will be a troubling sign because just look. If you know Caldwell's gone, you should fire him right away. It's just the right thing to do. It's the right way to handle business. If you're not sure, how long do you need to be sure? You already have a book on this guy. It was your job to scout pro teams for several years. You're telling me that that pro head of pro scouting. For the New England Patriots, doesn't know a thing or two about Jim Caldwell. Here, here's, so, here's well, my. Why do you here, need more than three is, or four days to make this decision? This would be my uh, comparison. It would be like if you hired the director of scouting from the New York Yankees to be your general manager, and you're the Boston Red Sox, and you couldn't make a determination on like Joe Torre or Joe Girardi, like. I, what more? That's, what more that's do you need? You've seen it all. That's the equivalent. Right. Nobody knows more about Jim Caldwell than someone who's been working as a pro scout for the, for the New England Patriots. I mean, that Indianapolis Colt, New England Patriots thing goes back many years. He's been there the entire time. Right, to the point we're saying we want, we want to see one last showdown between Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. Uh, where did that occur for most of those matchups when Manning was in Indianapolis with Caldwell and when Brady was in New England with Bob Quinn? So I don't understand that, but let me just backtrack a little because forgetting the uh, issue of the coach and what he's doing, and hopefully that'll be addressed in the next 24 hours, although I've been saying that for the last 72 hours, I do like, I do like what the Lions did. And like I said last week on the show, when you were prematurely bombing me for saying that I didn't think there was any chance that Sheldon White would be the GM. And I would have been re- – I really would have legitimately probably – if you said I'll bet you $1,000, $1,000 probably would have been about my limit. That's how confident I was. Just because mainly in the optics of the situation, um, if they didn't hire Ernie Accorsi and they were letting Rod Wood handle the uh, GM search, I probably would not have bet $100. Or maybe I would, have, I, would have, I would have been with you looking for suckers to bet that Sheldon White would come back. But I just didn't think they were going to go through that rigmarole. That was my thinking knowing that they kind of got a backlash for hiring Rod Wood after saying that they were going to do a national search for the president, that they weren't going to do it again. So that was my thinking, and it proved out to be right. Regarding Bob Quinn, and this is what I said on Schuling's show yesterday, there's no guarantee this is going to work. There's no guarantee that any person you hired was going to work, including Ron Wolf's son or Bill Tobin's son, or even if you could have gone and got the general manager of Seattle, if he was willing to say, oh, I'm going to go take over Detroit, kind of like a Theo Epstein deal, where, okay, I've done everything I can in Seattle. I want to bring a Super Bowl to Detroit because that's the next – that would be the next – even if you brought him in, there'd be Even going if to, you brought in Bill Belichick, right. the coach, and you just, you just don't know. There's right. people that think and, that and he's compa- mostly a Tom Brady creature. Right, and my comparison was I was thrilled when the Tigers years ago, after basically having an old man in Jim Campbell and – Built all these old men running the Tigers, they brought in Randy Smith as the general manager. And I was like, oh, my God, this guy's going to be great. He scouted well, drafted well, did well in San Diego. He's got a pedigree. His father was a major league executive. This is going to be great. This is going to be a new era of Tiger baseball with some youth, a young guy, uh, 
forward thinking, hopefully, other than like you know the old men who had been running the Tigers in the eighties and and basically watched that decline occur. No good draft picks, basically after the Whitaker, Trammell, Morris type of you know guys in the late seventies. They went years without developing any play. Oh my God, Randy Smith, and that ended up in a plane crash in the mountains. I mean, that was the, one of the worst general managers we've ever seen in this town. But if it's going to be a 50-50 coin toss, whether or not Bob Quinn's going to be good or not, whether he can translate the success from New England to Detroit, that's about 49% better of a chance than you have hiring your alcoholic golfing buddy, an accountant in Chuck Schmidt, your son's high school buddy who is the son of your attorney to have anything to do with football operations, which managing the salary cap, I'm sorry, is a big football responsibility. Hiring a broadcaster who had no prior experience at the bare minimum for the first time in my lifetime, and I'm 43 and a half years old, as I told ML Elric a couple weeks ago when he mocked me for being a child for using the half. This is the first time they've had anyone that any other organization would have wanted. If it doesn't work, at least you did the thing that the other 31 teams would have done. And you bring up a good point. It's really, it's just a credible hire. And I think it's the same kind of thing with, within a baseball move when, when we would criticize Jim Leland for doing something anti-math, and then sometimes it works out. I mean, you can do something that's going to fail 87% of the time and 13% of the time it works. So, you know, you have to look at moves the day you made them. And, and obviously we'll prove out if it was a good hire or not, but where we sit today or when that hire was made, I think it's a good hire. He's smart. He has a good pedigree. And maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. But I think whether it works is almost irrelevant at this point. They made a credible hire, as you said, that people would want. And I think it's the first sign that we see that there might be something, something to this narrative that Martha Ford is different and it's a different show now. Now, I've been a big critic of that narrative because I didn't see the evidence of it. I, I thought it was premature. You know, they, the, I, th- I thought the hiring of Rod Wood was very alarming, and I still think – I don't think this absolves that, by the way. I don't think it does. I, I still think well, I think a, it kind of does only for this reason because I it think – It absolves I, it entirely? I, yeah, I, I'll tell entirely. you why. I'll tell you why. Oh, okay, I'll I tell disagree. You, I'll, I'll tell you why. Because I think what Ernie Accorsi – and what Sheila Hamp and Martha Ford or whoever, or Sheila's husband, I, I think they have made a, cl- a clear delineation between football side and the, and the business side. And I don't, I don't care who runs the business side of the Lions. I just don't. I don't care if they make money. I ho- actually I hope they ro- um, lose money unless they fire Jim Caldwell tomorrow and then I'm going to be a Lions fan again. But I don't – I really – I honestly believe this – and I know people will say that I'm being naive maybe, but there's been no harsher critic of the Lions under William Clay Ford Sr. or the Lions since he died than me. I mean, I was almost thrown in jail for being a critic of this team because of a cartoon, and I had to answer to the Allen Park police. So I'm not some, I'm not some Kool-Aid drinker. But I really do believe... <laughs> the Charlie Hebdo of Detroit. Yeah, exactly. I really do believe... There is going to be a separation of church and state here, and that Bob Quinn was hired to run the Detroit Lions, complete football operations with nobody interceding. I I really, truly believe that, and I I think it's kind of played out in the last few days. I just don't see Rod Wood, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe in a couple years we'll read something that Rod Wood ordered the team ordered Bob Quinn to draft some star quarterback or some star wide receiver, which has happened in the past where ownership wanted a certain player and that management didn't. And that owner, I mean, this is going back a few years now, but that's happened in the past. I don't think that's going to happen under this current model. I'm optimistic about that at least. And I think if anything, I, I don't know who it is. I don't know if it's Sheila or her husband. Someone, maybe, may, you know, maybe it's maybe it's Sheila's husband. Someone who is a kind of an outsider, not blood related, has sat back and read the history. You know, has been here as a kind of an outsider, the history of the franchise, and said, "Look, we've got to do the exact opposite of William, what William Clay Ford Senior did 
for 50 years as the sole owner of this team. And that's basically what they did. Now, does, is, is there some weird <laughs> Martha Ford? Um, is there something that happened in their marriage that was a little odd that she wants to one-up her late husband? Could that be part of it? I don't know. All I know is the outcome so far has been very positive for Lions fans. I don't know what the internal dynamics of that family are. But something has changed. Well, I think something has changed, but here's why I think you're wrong. Have you read or heard the statement that they released when they hired Bob Quinn? Have you read this or heard it? The clarification that they made about the hierarchy? It said, and I'm paraphrasing, but pretty pretty much, said – that Bob Quinn will be answering to Rod Wood. Now, here's how I would want... No, I heard the exact opposite. Okay, well, I heard, we can I, look that up. I'm pretty sure that he, they clarified it and said he's going to be answering to Martha. Well, they both answered to, to, to Martha, but let's let's look that up to make sure I'm not going on a five-minute rant over something that's I, wrong. I think you're wrong. I think you're wrong. Well, I'll we'll, research that and talk about that next week. Uh, okay, well, I think I can find that in a minute, but I'll have to wait for you to talk. But I'm fairly certain... That, that that was what I just said it was, that that they are needing to answer to Rod Wood if you're, Bob Quinn has to answer to Rod Wood. And, you know, okay, we'll look that up in the next I'm minute. not even upset about that, even if it's true. But well, so how, why well, would, why would wait, that, you've got more confidence in Martha Ford than Rod Wood? I mean, I'm not, not sure. The, I, that's not the point. That's not the point. I want a complete and total separation between those two. I don't want either one of them answering to the other. Yeah, but someone has to, at the end of the day, there's got to be an ownership or someone who makes a decision about Bob Quinn. Bob Quinn can't, I mean, Bob Quinn is hired to be fired. He works at the, you know, disposal of, or he works at the, you know. Why not have, not that I love the Cowboys or Jerry Jones, but why not have a setup where the owner Everyone answers to the owner. Why? Maybe that is what. If, I mean, if there's I a think, clear separate. You you understand how this doesn't make any sense. That if they're separated, there is no chain where one's answering. Because together. I think Rod if Wood is separate. There's no Rod, chain because Rod Wood is. They, and they can say whatever they Congress want. Congress doesn't answer to the yeah, president Rod, or vice versa. I mean, there's no Rod true Wood separation based, here. You, I don't know why you'd have more confidence in Sheila Hamp or Martha Ford than Rod Wood. That's it's not that's the, the question. It's not, it's not yeah, the it point. Is the, it no, is it's the not, point. It's not. Yes, it is the exact point. It's First of all, I have, the, I have the same lack of confidence in both of them because they're practically the same. Bob entity. Quinn's got to answer to somebody in that organization. He's got to. He's the. He's. He's not. Yeah, the he top has, guy. He has, no, no, no. So who he do you want him to answer to? Who do you want him to answer? Martha Ford. It listen. In terms of his employment, he has to answer them. Hey, we're not doing well. What's the deal? He has to answer them in that context. I don't like any insinuation that Bob Quinn is answering to anybody on anything to do with the football operations other than whether or not he's employed. I don't think he does. I don't think he will. Well, I honest, that's, and that's then my then point. we just have a difference of I opinion. Don't think he, I, do not think that, I, I do not think that he's going to have to answer to anyone. I don't think he's going to have to say, I want to draft this wide receiver out of Penn State, and he's got to run it across Rod Wood or Sheila Hamp or Martha Ford. I, don't think that, I just don't think that's how it's going to set up. We will see, and we can talk about this more next week. Hopefully there will be an answer on Caldwell and we can talk about who maybe the next head coach of the Lions is going to be. I've got my fingers crossed. Because if they do uh, fire Caldwell and hire a new head coach, I'm back as a fan of this team, and I will not root for them to lose. Uh, They would have done the things necessary other than fire Bill Keenis, which isn't going to happen. But I guess I can't hold my team hostage based on a guy who's in PR. All right, we're going to go take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk to Anthony Ciotti, Uh, DSR contributor about the first half of the Detroit Red Wings and where we see them going next. Stay tuned. This is a previously recorded episode. Back on the Detroit Sports Red podcast when we are last second in our abbreviated program for Spiro Spurs game. Will be back in here in a second. He's arguing with StubHub because they fucked him over on some tickets, I guess, this evening. So hopefully he'll get back for a Red Wings discussion momentarily. On the line is DSR Red Wing contributor Helene St. James. Helene, how, how are you doing this this evening? Hey, Jeff, how's it going? <laughs> I'm, oh, I'm sorry. I forgot. It was Anthony Ciotti, not Helene St. James. We, we, we were debating whether to have Helene on uh, and talk about her scarf collection or have Anthony on to discuss something a little more. Uh, maybe mathematically inclined with the Detroit Red Wings. Red Wings have now played 43 games. They are a little p- 
past the halfway point of the season. In second place in the Atlantic Conference, uh, not behind any teams that probably should have an NHL franchise because uh, only Florida, the Miami, <laughs> the, the uh, Sunrise Panthers, are ahead of them in the uh, in the conference. But it's been a very strange first half, Anthony. Uh, the Red Wings are sitting in a nice spot coming down the stretch for a, another playoff berth. Um, they have 51 points. Teams like Tampa and Ottawa have 46. The you know teams that you probably have to worry about in, in the next uh, 39 games, teams that could catch them. But they're minus five on a goal differential all season long. And they are having a season, I would say it's comparable to a couple of years ago, Anthony, when the Baltimore Orioles uh, won the AL East basically on the strength of one-run games. I think that would have been 2013 or 14. I'm not sure which. I think they had the best record in the history of baseball in one-run games. And the Red Wings are basically having a similar year in one-goal games. Is it sustainable? And, and what, do you, what are your general thoughts on the first half of the year? Um, I to answer your first question, I'm not a hundred percent sure it's sustainable because it will probably the luck will probably run out at some point. But it's largely driven, I think, to this point by Peter Moratic, who's having an excellent season. Um, anyway, he's like he's a top five goalie right now. Uh, some nights he's the best, some nights he's the fifth best. You know, but most of the stats have him somewhere between one and five. Um, and I think that's where you get a lot of your success in the one goal games. I mean, history has shown that in any sport, uh, one score uh, record um, will even out over time. So, you know, they could they could ride this through the rest of the season, or it could collapse on them quickly. But you know, they put themselves in good position uh, for the second half and for a playoff berth. I, I want to talk about Mrazek for a few moments because I think he probably right now might be the most underrated athlete in Detroit. Uh, we're talking about the wings that are basically still after all these years, the most successful franchise in town. Uh, the Lions uh, obviously missed the playoffs again. The Tigers missed the playoffs. Pistons are improving, but they're right kind of in a similar situation to the wings uh, in the standings, I would guess uh, if you compare the sports, but Mrazek to me, and I and I said this last year, I said I thought that Peter Mrazek would go down as the best Red Wings goalie of my lifetime, and that's if you you know if you consider that you, we only had Hasek for a short time. I mean, Cujo played here, but not in his prime, and mm-hmm. you know, basically the the comparison in, in my lifetime would be Osgood. I, I guess Osgood's probably yes. the, you know best uh, goaltender we've had. And I said last year, and it's just in his first fifteen or twenty games, this guy's got the ability of of nobody I've seen, including Osgood, obviously. And it, it's been remarkable. The guy has been great at every level that he's been in juniors, or, or you know, the junior tournament, the World Junior Tournament, um, the minor leagues with Grand Rapids, now Detroit. Uh, to me, because I think of Dylan Larkin's success a little. I think it's overshadowed Mrazek, and also that his coach doesn't should play him as much as he should, but this guy is incredible. Yeah, he's doing great. Um, uh, he's number one in the league in expected goal, uh, goals allowed. Uh, you know, he's, um, he's only 23. His uh, age 22 season had him trending really well. So I, I kind of posted uh, last year um, that his age 22 season was better than both uh, Tuka Rasks and Carey Price's. So that, that that bodes well for um, you know future predictions. Uh, he still hasn't established enough of a baseline to see where he's going to go in his career. But like at this stage, I mean, he obviously could be the best goalie in the league for a couple of years at least. He's trending towards being a league goalie, um, you know, for at least you know a few more years, at least through the duration of his um, you know rookie contract and you know the uh, up until free agency. So they they found a really good. Um, Good find with him. You know, he was kind of a lower round draft pick. He did have a great World Junior tournament. He was pretty good in the uh, in the OHL for Ottawa, uh, and he he was great for Grand Rapids. They won the title with him uh, as his as a starting goalie. I think part of the reason why he's kind of underrated right now is uh, you know Jimmy Howard's been the starter here for a few years now. Um, he's high, you know he's highly thought of around town. He has a big contract, and this season he started 18 games, and Mrazek's only started 24. So Mrazek is basically the starter now, was a starter all year, but 
um, you know, Howard is getting quite a few games, um, you know, for someone considered a backup at this point. And so I think it's kind of suppressed the hype around Morazic. Um, they are winning a ton of one-goal games. Their record in one-goal games is, uh, I thought I saw it the other day. It, actually, it wasn't on a uh, Red Wings telecast. It was on the Panthers telecast where they flashed up uh, best records in one-goal games in the, uh, in the league. Uh, they were 16-3-7. and seven. Uh, So in, they've gotten points in 23 of 26 one-goal games this season, which is like just... It's And that's yeah, why I said it. it was, that's why I made that Orioles uh, comparison because the Orioles had like won like I think 75, 80% of those one run, run games a few years ago. And that's how they made the playoffs. And I guess for one year, I guess you can do it. I, I don't know. Like, you know, going forward, I wouldn't exactly say having to win or get points in like 88% of one goal games is a great strategy to go into a season. But it seems right. to be working, and that's with Howard, like you say, basically playing like 40% of the game so far, which I would yeah. say in the second half that's going to go obviously way down as they make a push for the playoffs. Mrazek's going to probably yeah. play every game that's not a back-to-back, and then they'll determine uh, who you know who they'll who, who will play those back-to-back games because the, the metrics basically show that uh, even the best goalies in the in the world uh, just aren't the same player on the second night of a back-to-back, and it's something. And this is the thing about Morazic that, you know, this is something Detroit Red Wings fans have been waiting really for for just decades for. Um, the old saying was that the two hardest jobs in Detroit were the Lions quarterback and the Red Wings goalie. And a lot of that was because of guys like Day going back to, to, those, you know, to those years, Mike Vernon, who almost got ran out of town before he won a, a Stanley Cup with the team. And we finally got a guy who just baffles other teams in the way that in the 90s, you and I remember, the Red Wings running up against guys like Arturs Urbe, Nikolai Hobby Bulin. I mean, we could go on and on about goalies who just completely uh, nullified the Red Wings' talent advantage back in those days. And that's what the game against um, uh, what the, the, the uh, game against Anaheim reminded me of, that they were so frustrated, the Ducks, after that that highlight save with a stick and then the abdicator goal like eight seconds later, that was the Red Wings in the 90s before they won the Cups, just being completely stifled by the opposite goalie, the opposing goalie, only to have you know one shot come down the other way and we lose the game. And that's what Mirazic's done to this team. And it really, it, it just hasn't happened in, in my lifetime, really. Yeah, I think um, he's really stealing a lot of games. This last stretch was very crucial because it's a it's a tough road trip, um, and they started out uh, at, at Buffalo, New Jersey, and then to the West Coast. Uh, they've got I think where they um, they've won four one goal games and lost uh, lost basically a one goal game, where it's you know two goals because of empty netter. But um, there's a there's a Twitter feed that publishes stats, expected goal stats every morning for the game, and uh, it's a DTM about heart if you want to check it out. Uh, but they uh, the, the win percentages, like the odds of winning based on expected goals, this road trip has been like 63% for Buffalo, so the Wings stole that one. Uh, 66% for San Jose, um, 62% for Anaheim. Uh, so I mean they've been like Mrazek's been carrying them on this trip. Ironically, the one goal, game, the one zero game against New Jersey, the Wings actually had a better chance of winning. But that was a really crucial stretch because going into that stretch, they only had um, I think twelve or thirteen regulation wins, maybe less than that, and they were they were like fourth or fifth least in the NHL, which is, is another good indicator um, because uh, you know regulation is it's, it's basically um, you're playing overtime five on five in the playoffs as well, so. Right. It shows, you know, it shows uh, uh, you know, an indicator for success. Uh, so the Wings weren't looking that good uh, at that time, but this this road trip's really turned them around, and the Mrazic's really carried them. And I, I do think you're right; they're going to probably ride him the rest of the way. Uh, he's probably going to get the bulk of the starts, um, and maybe not, maybe not the tail end of the back-to-back. For Jimmy Howard, they'll give uh, Mrazic the harder of the two games, or like, uh, or like was, they did, I think, in this in this scenario. I think they played. I think they wanted to win that Anaheim game, knowing that the Los Angeles King game was going to be, you know, almost next to impossible to win, no matter who. If they had a brick wall playing goal last night, you know, so I think they totally kind of, agree. yeah, I think they played Morazic in the Anaheim game, hoping that they could beat the lesser team and just be happy with a four, four, four games, and then maybe, hopefully, maybe get a one or two points, you know, in the last two games of this trip. 
Now, the next concern for Red Wings fans is there always is something that's pissing us off under the Ken Holland regime, especially post-salary cap, is we now have seven healthy defensemen, and based on you know last night, it, it seemed like they, they, they dressed seven guys, and that Marchenko was the seventh guy. Of course, he scores one of the team's two goals. All of the basically all Red Wings fans who know anything about anything are, are craving Quincy coming in and Erickson going to the you know to the press box. I, I don't see it happening, and it seems like Marchenko is going to be the odd man out when he's probably been at least one of the top two defensemen over the last you know four to six weeks. Yeah, that would be unfortunate. He's really established himself. Um, he's steady. Uh, Brendan Smith's really come on as well. Uh, it, it seems like uh, the defense in general has been their weak point. Uh, they can't generate a lot of offense out of it. Um, and so, you know, someone like, uh, you know, uh, Smith being able to start to do a little bit of that really helps. Um, it, it's, it's really tough to say which defensemen should sit. <laughs> Honestly, they're all, outside of the Kaiser and Marchenko and Smith, um, they're kind of all interchangeable to me. Uh, Green's been pretty good, too. But the, the ironic thing is, um, I guess kind of going off on a tangent, like, Brendan Smith's basically been what they wanted Mike Green to be when they signed him. And so, like, you know, they have all these guys now. They have a ton of salary tied up in defense, and they don't really have anyone that really stands out. Um, they have a couple of really steady guys, like I said, with Marchenko. The Kaiser's very steady. Um, but it's it's really, I think, suppressing some of their scoring. And um, as the forwards are starting to age, you know, they're really good defensive forwards like uh, Basuk and Zetterberg. Um, they've carried a lot of defensive load the last years, and I think that's kind of shifting to Morazic, as we talked about earlier. Right. Uh, so, you know, I think, um, I hope they get it right. I, I do have a little bit of faith in Blaschel, um, the way he's handled Glendening and Miller, um, you know, decreasing their ice time. I, I do think uh, he's going to identify the weak spots in their defense, you know, in his opinion at least, and de-emphasize them. Uh, and it, it was a good sign last night that they actually played Marchenko, as you said, because there was a lot of speculation they were going to sit him down. Um, with Quincy coming back. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm trying to hold out hope. Um, I think really what they need to do is, is acquire a defenseman if, it's, if they're really going to make a push. Um, they kind of seem to be, as a team, in this middle middle ground. A lot of their advanced stats have them right in the middle of the league in one way or another, power play, penalty kill, um, unblocked shots. Um, so goal differential also. You know, so I think there's, there's room for them to get better. Um, they do have some extendable... Um, players, uh, they do have some tradable deals, um, and they do have some prospects left um, if they want to make a run. But just sitting in this middle ground, uh, it's, it's going to be tough for them to really win more than a couple rounds. Fortunately, uh, the uh, the division's very bad, and uh, the, the teams that were supposed to be good aren't good right now. Uh, right. So I, I do think there's I do think there's a little potential for them in the playoffs, but you know at this point, um, there's still a lot of variables. The one thing that I don't understand, and I've in you know, a lot of the people, the D- the Red Wings fans on the DSR have been very pleased with the learning curve being very quick for Blashill and doing a lot of things that Mike Babcock wouldn't have done. The one thing that I think the consensus, the the, the latest whipping boy is, why is Brendan Smith getting zero po- uh, power play run? It makes absolutely no sense. You just compared him to, you know, what they thought they were going to get out of Mike Green. Well, the power play last time I checked was 21st or 22nd in the NHL, and they've just got way too much forward talent for that to be the case. I think their power play percentage is about 17.5. At what point do, do they throw out Brendan Smith and hopefully in hope that they get some more production from the back end? I think it's a combination of, of a lot of things. I do think they should give you know Smith a little bit of run on the power play, like you said. I, I think that um, they might need to mix it up a little bit. I think Polkanen being out kind of hurts them as well. Um, people are forgetting Polkanen was extremely a uh, good possession guy in his limited time so far, and he's deadly on the uh, on the power play. So I think there's a few things at, um, you know that go into that. Uh, I, I would agree, though. Um, Cronwall's got a very middling stats on the power play. Green's actually slightly worse than Cronwall. Um, they do need somebody. You know, um, if they're going to acquire a defenseman, that would be something they probably should take a look at as well. Um, if they're looking to improve their offensive output, you know, someone like Kevin Shattenkirk, he's the number one uh, power play defenseman in the league right now. Uh, he's one of the top twenty offensive defensemen. 
Uh, so, you know, he's, he's on the market. Um, but I do think that, um, the status quo, as you were saying, is, is probably not quite good enough. Um, their, their percentage is a little bit lower than their shot rates are. So I would, I would expect it to kind of trend towards mediocre rather than being slightly below average. But, um, they do got to get that figured out, especially if they're going to try to win a bunch of one goal games. Um, that doesn't really help them as much in the playoffs though, because the playoffs tend to be played more five on five. Uh, and then overtime's obviously five on five as well. Um, but getting to the playoffs is still not a sure thing. So, you know, I do think that shoring up the uh, special teams is, is a big point. Well, hopefully that'll uh, work itself out with Pulkin and coming back in the next maybe 10 days. And hopefully he gets some power play run because even that was a little dubious before he even got hurt. He wasn't getting regular power play time really either. Uh, so hopefully, you know, with the struggles that they've had, that he will get a chance to play with the top six forwards. Last question, what do you see the keys to this team continuing their playoff streak and making a run uh, in the postseason? Uh, like you said, I mean, the division's wide open. I mean, if the Florida Panthers are the, the standard bearer, uh, I think that the, the Red Wings have every bit of a chance as anyone else in that division to get to the uh, conference finals. Um, and, you know, when you get to that that far, anything can happen. What, what do you think the keys are to, the you know, them making a run and making the playoffs? I think um, staying healthy is going to be the biggest key. Uh, you know, Datsuk's been good since he came back. He's really lifted them. If, if anything happens to Datsuk, Larkin, or Morazic, I think they'll be in big trouble. So I think those guys are very key. Um, Blaschel uh, is, is pretty much exceeded all expectations, like you said. I mean, he, he, he had a good pedigree, but he's he's been a very good rookie coach. He's leveraged uh, Larkin into a very effective player for being a 19-year-old, you know, just basically speedster. Um, uh, Mrazek's been very good. He's, he's gotten the defense involved a little bit more. Uh, so, you know, Blaschel's done very well. I think also some of the key is going to be how these other teams in the division do. Um, you know, Montreal's been playing without Kerry uh, Price for quite a while. Tampa Bay hasn't figured it out. Their, their uh, peripheral stats are still pretty good. Um, so if Florida keeps up at their current pace, and they're getting the best goaltending in the league, uh, Kerry Price comes back and Tampa Bay figures it out, um, Detroit's going to be in a dogfight. Uh, so I don't know um, with their current, with the current roster and the current players, uh, you know, what they're, what they're doing right now. Um, I think it's sustainable to an extent because they are very good in the one goal games. They have good goaltending, um, but there are some you know external things that could happen that they can't control, like other teams' success, um, which could be put a lot of stress on them down the stretch. So um, I would like to see them go and get a defenseman, um, especially with you know um, paying you know powered as much as they're paying. See if they can get something out of that. They do have a little bit uh, to give. Away on um, as far as forwards are concerned, they do have a couple of forward prospects left, um, and I think that would give them the biggest boost. Um, that's what my hope is, and I do think if they make the playoffs, the division is kind of down this year. They can definitely win a couple rounds and get at least into the conference finals. Um, I don't know if they're going to beat Washington and Dallas or Chicago back to back or LA, something like that. But it, they could have a nice run. They haven't made it out of the first round um, in, in a while. They've only won three playoff series since they lost the Penguins in the final, so it would be nice for them to make a run. Um, but there's still there's still a lot of hockey left. Well, hopefully Ken Holland can do something at the trade deadline to improve the team's chances. Um, he's failed miserably at that the last couple of years, the David Leguan trade and then Eric Cole getting hurt last year, uh, giving up assets and not getting much in return. Uh, and with the salary cap problems that they have, I'm just not that confident in Holland. I think probably the best hope is – Mrazek going on a roll if they get to the playoffs and him carrying them as far as as far as he can. I, I think he's that type of goalie, and I guess we'll see how it plays out. Well, we've seen it play out uh, in Montreal the last couple seasons where Carey Price was basically the best player in the league last year. He was an elite goaltender the year before, and their, um, their profile is similar to Detroit's this year. They were between 15 and 20 in possession, uh, and you know they couldn't go far. They made the conference finals against uh, Rangers uh, two years ago. Uh, they won around uh, last year, so um, it's possible that the Wings could have that similar success. And you know, one of the things that held Montreal back was I don't I don't really think their coach is that good. And Detroit does have a good coach, so um, I do think there's a reason for optimism if you look at that. Um, you know, but I do agree with you. Uh, the odds of them making a trade based on the recent history is probably low, so they're probably going to let it ride. 
And if they stay healthy, I mean, I, I do think they can have some success. Well, when we get closer to the uh, trade deadline, I want to get to kind of a roundtable maybe discussion going uh, with you, Prashanth, maybe even get Art Regner in here to talk about the Red Wings, maybe even dedicate a whole show pre-trade deadline to the Wings because obviously they don't get a lot of attention on the local radio stations. And I think uh, I think uh, we should talk more about the Wings. It seems always the Lions and the Tigers and Drew Sharp, but... Uh, <laughs> but we'll talk more about the wings and have you on again in a few weeks and see if it's a defenseman, if it's a Steven Stamco sweepstakes, uh, what what they're going to uh, what they're going to do getting closer to the deadline. But I appreciate you joining us tonight, Anthony. Anthony Ciotti, what's your Twitter handle? A Ciotti, just my first initial and my last name. C i a t t i a c i a t t i. You can follow him. You can follow Spiro at Darko State News. You can follow me at Jeff Moss DSR. You can't follow Jessica at all because she is just too special to be followed. So we're not going to get into that discussion. But thanks, Jessica, for for uh, producing again. No, oh, thanks to you guys for entertaining me. Okay, we will be back next Tuesday, hopefully with a new Lions head coach and uh, maybe some more Red Wing news. Thanks a lot, Anthony. Thanks a lot, everyone, for listening. Have a good week. Thanks, Jeff. Yep. This is a previously recorded episode.